Good afternoon and welcome. I'm Maureen Conway, Vice President at the Aspen Institute and Executive Director of the Institute's Economic Opportunities Program. It is my pleasure to welcome you to today's conversation, Insights from Businesses, How Digital Transformation is Impacting Work and Skill Needs. This conversation is part of the Economic Opportunities Program ongoing Opportunity in America discussion series, in which we explore uh, the issues facing um, individuals, families, and communities across the country in accessing economic opportunity and ideas for change. I want to thank Prudential Financial, Walmart.org, the Cerna Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth for their support of our Opportunity in America discussion series. Today's event is based on the Economic Opportunities Program's Upskill America initiative. And for those of you who are not familiar, Upskill America is an employer-led movement that promotes investment in workers that will help them pursue economic mobility and build careers, and, and also that advances understanding of what works in doing that work. The Upskill movement has a strong focus on frontline and entry-level workers, workers who are disproportionately women and people of color and who historically have been least likely to benefit from employer investments in training and mentoring. Upskill seeks to build inclusive strategies that expand opportunities for working people. For the past year, our Upskill America research team has been looking at the impact the pandemic and heightened attention to racial inequality are having on work and the workplace and the implications for hiring, skill needs, and education and training strategies. This research has been funded by the Strata Education Network and Walmart.org. The project began with a series of in-depth employer interviews, exploring how they were adapting to a rapidly shifting economic environment and the multiple crises of 2020. Employers shared their challenges managing changing and variable state and local safety and health guidance, shifting customer demand, workers' need for flexibility in work arrangements, societal demands for more thoughtful diversity, equity, and inclusion practices, and more. And some honestly were just expressing that they were struggling to see how they were going to stay in business. In that context, employers um, talked about how they saw skill needs shifting and workforce practices changing in ways that they actually thought would be with us for the foreseeable future. They described the rising importance of digital skills, the growing interest among frontline workers and employer-sponsored education and training programs as they were seeing through growing enrollment in these programs. They were talking about the ways in which HR processes were changing, including things like moving to virtual interviews, onboarding processes, virtual internships, and also expressing concerns that the shift to all this digital work would widen the digital divide and the challenges that's been presenting. Um, the range of concerns, both personal and professionals, employers were hearing from employees in 2020 uh, were causing them to rethink things such as safety and health, needs for flexibility, a variety of issues around work and work arrangements, and more. Uh, following the interviews, we developed a survey uh, and fielded that survey in early, early this year, early in 2020. 2021 to hear from um, a much broader array of employees, employers, excuse me, about these issues. Uh, we resp received responses from over 340 business leaders, including leading employers in food service, healthcare, manufacturing, and retail, on the ways that they've been responding to the variety of changes, but in particular to technological change and, and racial inequities in employment and what their strategies have been. Um, we followed that survey with an additional round of in-depth interviews uh, that really allowed us to dive more deeply into how digital transformation is affecting workplaces and industries today. 
So today's event draws on on all of this research, really, and um, and in particular some of these interviews that we just just did. And just yesterday, we released a deck that summarizes some of this. It's, this research is available on our website. I'm not going to say the web URL because it's really long, but hopefully my colleagues are putting in the chat so you can find it because there's a lot of terrific information in there, and I hope everybody will get a chance to take a look at it. Um, and there will be more. In the coming weeks, we'll be releasing uh, a tool to help education and training providers and others discuss the important issues about tr digital transformation with employers in their communities. So please keep an eye out uh, for that. Um, and we're going to begin our discussion now, but before we begin, I want to do a very quick review of our technology. All attendees that today's dis uh, conversation are muted, but we very much welcome your questions. Many thanks to those of you who submitted questions in advance. Uh, please keep them coming. Uh, post in the Q&A tab in the Slido box on the bottom of your screen, and we'll do our best to get to as many questions as we can today. We also encourage you to share your views. If you have ideas, examples, resources, or experiences related to today's conversation, please, um, please introduce yourself and share those ideas uh, in the Ideas tab, uh, which is also in your Slido box. Um, uh, in your third Slido box, there is a, ta a tab in your Slido box. There's a Polls tab. We always appreciate everybody's feedback. Please, before you leave today, take a moment to respond to the quick feedback poll that you'll find there um, and let us know what you think. We're always trying to uh, improve these events, so we really like to hear from you. Um, we also encourage you to tweet about this conversation. Our hashtag is talk opportunity. If you have technical issues that you can't uh, use the chat boxes for, please email us at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. This webinar, webinar is being recorded and will be shared via email and posted on our website. Um, closed captions um, are available for this discussion. Uh, please just click the CC button at the bottom of the video stream to activate them. And now I'll briefly introduce our speakers for today. There's bioinformation on our website. Please take a look at it. They're a wonderful group of speakers. But in the interest of time, I will just do uh, a quick names and titles. Um, today we have with us Amy Blair, Research Director at the Economic Opportunities Program, Kelly Ryan Bailey, Global Skills Evangelist, I love that title, at MZ Burning Glass. Um, Patty Constantakis, Director, Corporate Philanthropy, Walmart.org. Reggie Davis, Senior Director of Distribution at the Container Store. Andre Alcantar, Senior Workforce Lead, Texas Association of Community Colleges. Rachel Stevens, Program Director, Workforce Development and Economic Policy at the National Governors Association, and Daryl Graham, Senior Vice President of Philanthropy, Strata Education Network. Thank you all so much for being with us today. And now let me introduce our moderator for today's conversation, my colleague, Jamie Fall, Director, Upskill America. Jamie, we're excited about today's conversation, so let me hand it over to you. Thank you, Maureen. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. We really appreciate you being with us today for this uh, conversation. Uh, over the course of the last year, uh, we've had a really wonderful opportunity to learn directly from employers about their efforts to adapt and survive in 2020 and the significant uh, changes coming about during that time. Uh, we set about to learn, among many other things, what workforce skills are increasingly important in today's rapidly changing business environment and economy, in what ways skill needs affect employment practices, including education and training programs for frontline workers, and how the current context influences hiring practices and plans 
to support career advancement for frontline workers. As Maureen said, all the learning from the past year is available on the Upskill America website. I really do encourage you to check it out when you have the opportunity. It's been fascinating work, which has given us a unique look behind the scenes at some of America's best known companies. And we would love to share that learning with you. Since the very beginning of Upskill America in 2015, employers have spoken of the accelerating pace of change brought about by technology and innovation, but few were prepared for how quickly things accelerated in 2020. We heard from manufacturers who accelerated the use of smart factories to help keep workers safe and to meet the increasing demand for products. We heard from healthcare providers who shifted to remote delivery of some healthcare services creating a whole new occupation managing remote waiting rooms. And we heard from restaurant operators who shifted to an online ordering and takeout model in weeks after years of trying and failing. No industry that we've spoken with has escaped some form of rapid transition during this time, and many of these changes are likely to be with us for some time. Here to tell us more about what we've learned from our uh, recent conversations with employers is my friend and colleague, Amy Blair, Research Director, Economic, Opportunity, Economic Opportunities Program. Amy, uh, what do you have to share with us today? Thank you, Jamie, um, and hello, everybody. I'm really pleased to be joining the group today and to um, be um, just to be in this in this exciting exciting conversation. Um, Maureen and Jamie have given you a pretty good description of the research we've been doing over the past year, um, listening to and learning from business representatives about how their work and workforce have responded to what have been really extraordinary challenges. Um, as um, let me see if I can't. Uh, so my I am not able to advance the slides. I've got some technical support here. I'm going to keep going um, and hopefully um, Tony can catch us up. Let's see if that works. Okay. Um, as Maureen described, we have a number of resources that we hope you'll take a look at that provide a lot of detail of what we've been hearing from businesses through different phases of this study. Um, today, I'm going to be giving you highlights really from the most recent phase, which was a set of interviews, a second set of interviews with representatives of businesses in different sectors. Um, I hope that what I'm going to talk about is helpful for giving you a framework for thinking about different types of digital skills and some practical examples of digital skills for frontline workers in different occupations and industries and for setting the stage for our conversation to follow. Um, we can advance. I'll dive right in as this segment of the event is short. Um, our most recent interviews focused in on digital transformation in the workplace that ramped up during the pandemic as businesses adapted and made changes to uh, keep uh, workers and customers safe, to shift a wide range of operations to virtual work and to increase production or service delivery in some industries, um, increasing actually um, their, the, um, their work. Um, business representatives we interviewed are operating in retail, including e-commerce, restaurant and hospitality, healthcare, manufacturing, and logistics and distribution. Um, across the board, we heard that many of the shifts to digital technology changes that have been adopted in this most recent period will be sustained and even built out more um, in the near future. And of course, um, just want to point out there are a lot of differences in what this looks like by industry and occupation, but also by the size of a business with smaller businesses having really different challenges to adopting technology than do um, larger companies in advance. 
Um, we asked rep business representatives about how their companies adopting new technology is affecting the skills that workers need to do in their jobs. Um, our focus was on frontline workers, those working directly in production or distribution or in customer facing roles. Um, you'll see on this slide we, how we've organized what we learned about foundational digital skills that are common to many industries and, um, and cross frontline occupations in a lot of ways. Um, foundational digital skills include um, skills that are needed directly to do a work task, as well as skills needed to do things that are less directly linked to serving customers or producing or distributing products. And I'll give some examples of that. Um, but across industries, um, business reps talked about foundational skills in categories. Um, well, we categorized them, but we groupings and things like operating digital devices, using company or an industry specific digital platform, um, using software to communicate and collaborate, collecting and interpreting data, um, recognizing or and avoiding cybersecurity threats. Um, and even setting up and troubleshooting technology in remote workplaces and with remote IT support, um, things that have really, all of which have been really accelerating in the past year among the frontline workforce, um, which is you know the focus of who, what we were talking about. So we can advance the slide. Um, more and more, I'm gonna get into some examples to kind of make this um, a little more um, clear, but more and more frontline workers are using new technologies in their daily work. Um, and the need for foundational digital skills is growing in a lot of occupations and sectors um, across industries. The business representatives we talked with talked about growing use of email and other software for communications um, with frontline workers, not only for communications about things related to um, individual workers' employment, which might have been more the norm in the past with frontline work, but you know, such as their scheduling, um, but also for communications now within and across work groups and shifts about things such as status of production or equipment. Um, in retail and restaurant and hospitality settings, workers need skills to use mobile devices to search inventory, to collect contactless payments, and even to help customers use their own devices to access services, um, such as the um, a remote check-in at a hotel. Um, workers need skills to navigate information management systems related to their work, such as inventory, reservations, scheduling. Um, workers in healthcare um, settings are well, healthcare settings are increasingly using digital devices for tasks such as recording health assessments or coordinating and facilitating telehealth visits, um, monitoring patient vital signs um, in manufacturing, logistics, and, and distribution, and even in other settings such as retail and hotels. Workers need skills um, to work alongside or to direct robots that are performing production, um, production activities, or they're cleaning or making deliveries within a facility. Um, and that's crossing a lot of sectors, not just what you might think in you know, being in manufacturing. Um, and business representatives also described frontline workers increasingly needing skills to monitor, program, and maintain digital equipment. Um, and across sectors, we heard about increasing use of um, learning applications that workers need to be able to use to get guidance about how to do um, other tasks. Um, so uh, we're at, there's, there's more of a movement to online learning, even you know, for, for skills training in the workplace. Um, we can advance. I know that's been a really quick run through through a lot of different types of um, skills. Um, 
and um, I hope that it's been helpful to hear just some examples of digital skills in different industries and frontline frontline occupations um, as you um, hear you know listen to the rest of the um, of the event today. Um, we're working now um, in our group on a discussion guide to help workforce development professionals have conversations with employers like we did in our interviews about digital skills in the workplace. Um, it's coming soon. Um, and I want to just say we couldn't do this type of research without support on a number of fronts. We really want to thank um, Strata Education Network and Walmart.org for, um, for support and the employers and industry experts who informed our research. We really appreciate their generosity and the time and their insights. Um, and we also want to recognize um, Digital Us and Marvel Foundation. Their materials um, related to digital skills have been very helpful to us, and we want to acknowledge that um, they, they really were um, helpful in help in terms of um, us hopefully doing something that's additive um, in terms of the, the research on digital skills. So um, with that, I'm, I'm finished, and um, I guess I'm going back to Jamie. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that with us and uh, being with us today. And again, those are just a few highlights from a full deck of approximately 60 slides that we've posted on our website uh, on upskillamerica.org. And again, we would encourage you to check uh, all of that out. So next, we're going to hear from Kelly Ryan Bailey, Global Skills Evangelist at MZ Burning Glass. Uh, Kelly recently completed a digital talent forecast study, which I thought was fascinating. She worked with General Assembly, which uh, and looked at uh, what's happening in the labor market in regard to digital skills. Kelly, uh, please tell us what you were uh, looking at, what you learned, and how that either reflects or uh, maybe differs from uh, what, we've, what we've done. Uh, so thank you, Kelly. Happy to, Jamie, and thank you all for um, the opportunity to join you today. Just to clarify as well that although I'd love to be able to say that I was the one who did this work. <laughs> I was just the wonderful beneficiary of this work of some fantastic people, both at MZ Burning Glass and at General Assembly. And actually this particular report is a second collaboration between these two organizations on the exact same topic, which is the evolving role of digital skills. Funny enough, the first one happened about five, six years ago. And a lot of what we saw in that time frame, pre-COVID, of course, um, was quite telling and very similar to what we're seeing now, just highly accelerated, as Amy had mentioned, because many of these digital skills were already changing, right? Um, it was just really evident that business leaders in this extremely changing environment needed to have a better understanding of what their, the landscape looked like because it is changing so quickly. And you know how would they ever be able to forecast their need for tech talent? It's not even just today, it's in the future years to come. So to tell you a little bit more about this, um, at least like the background um, methodology of this report. So when we joined together, we actually pulled some original research from MZ Burning Glass, as well as uh, some insights from General Assembly's community of business leaders. And again, with the idea that we were going to shed light on the challenges and opportunities with this um, labor market that is being increasingly defined by digital, digital skills. On the back end, from an MZ Burning Glass perspective, our research methodology, methodology excuse me, allowed us to pull skills information from our database of over 13 million job postings. We looked at a subset, a specific subset of both industries and occupations designed not to present a comprehensive picture of the US economy, but rather a representative sample of major sectors and roles that are seeing noteworthy trends with regard to special 
specialized digital skill sets. Um, in this report, we actually chose tech, retail, and the manufacturing industry because together they comprise a large section of the American economy and because they include a wide variety of roles at different levels of pay, types of skill, and type of career trajectory. We also looked at key business roles, uh, occupations in sales and marketing, management, human resources, and operations. And again, just as a reminder, for the purposes of this report, we were focusing on digital skills, the digital skills and technical skills that are more specialized, specifically digital skills emerging at every level across these variety of industries and occupations we mentioned. Um, if you need more information on the methodology, I won't go into the full detail, but it is available on page 10 of the report. And if you're following our hashtag on Twitter, I'll go ahead and tweet that out after I finish up here. So in short, you know, this clearer understanding of the need for digital skills across the labor market is really an equity imperative as well as an economic one, as Maureen had mentioned in her opening comments. So just to give you some of like the top line, again, this is extremely rich in analytics, this report. So I'm just going to share three quick pieces, which is um, some 83% of all retail postings mention at least one digital skill. Uh, data analysis now dominates operations roles. So appearing in 18% of all job postings and other data related skills appear in 46% of all postings for operation jobs. And I can't imagine this is going to be surprising to any of you, but marketing is now a highly digital role as well. All postings for marketing jobs mention at least one digital skill. And probably, um, you know, while these, I would say, while these findings suggest that specialized digital skills are becoming increasingly important, one of the most striking conclusions of this report is that jobs are not becoming hyper-technical, um, as, as we might need to believe. Instead, they're becoming more increasingly hybrid. So this mix of like human and technical skills. Um, and this is why I think employers and workers alike are still struggling to keep up. So I really want to push on that for a moment just for the audience to remember that although the, this report highlights the need for specific digital skills, it shouldn't overshadow this broader need for non-digital skills. Um, and, you know, one example being half of all computer occupations do require at least one business skill. Um, so how does that, Jamie's last question, how does that complement? I would really say actually very complementary to the work that Amy just described. Um, you know, I noticed on many of the slides that Amy shared that there seems to be um, some combination of human skills, such as communication, problem solving, creative thinking, business skills, such as scheduling, records processing and more. And all of those just are enabled by technology, which is why we're seeing the requirement of digital skills. So I hope that helps set the groundwork for you guys to jump in on this wonderful discussion. Uh, yes, Kelly, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. And uh, just a reminder that we'll have a, a time for questions and answers uh, toward the end of this uh, session and would, uh, would welcome those. So uh, thank you, Kelly. Um, so now it's my pleasure to uh, to invite Patty Constantakis, Director of Corporate Corporate Philanthropy, Walmart.org, and Reggie Davis, Senior Director of Distribution, the Container Store, to the conversation. Thank you both for being with us today. Yeah. 
we really are wanting to, uh, to spend a few minutes here at the beginning to get the uh, business perspective and to dig a little more into, into what we've heard both Kelly and Amy uh, talk about. Maybe the best place to begin is if you could take us back to 2020 and just kind of walk us through what some of the biggest impacts of the pandemic uh, and you know, the way it affected your company and workplaces. Patty, let me start with you. Sure. Um, first, let me just quickly say too that um, while I am uh, part of Walmart.org, the Walmart Foundation, I kind of have a, a, a dual role that I play and several of us in our organization do in that we um, both do philanthropic work, but we also serve as consultants um, to our people team in the, in the business as well. So just to give you a little context there. Um, so back to 2020. So we were, as most of you probably can remember, um, we were one of the few businesses that stayed open always from the very beginning, um, which the challenges there were, were super interesting. They were, um, number one, how do we keep all of our employees safe and everybody safe? So safety was a, was a, was a, 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 a number one priority. Um, then, then came sort of um, demand, like there was significantly more demand for all kinds of things. If you guys remember the paper towel holding, hoarding and sort of all of those things are happening too, right? Um, so there was suddenly um, tremendous demand and um, strain on our supply chains and sort of all of that was happening all at once. Um, and we were getting essentially demand um, for um, contactless shopping, right? That that suddenly came to um, be a big thing, right? Can we pick it up? Can we get it delivered? Sort of all of those things that we had um, in our in our minds um, had, you know, we had, we had, we had infrastructure that was beginning to support all of that, but we didn't quite have it all in place, and that, but there was a demand for it. So, um, so I would say we were. Um, I feel like some of what we said, what was said earlier was, you know, there were there were a whole bunch of things that happened in as the pandemic began that made us accelerate things that we hadn't really thought about we, that we were going to go that fast with. Let's put it that way. Um, I'll leave that at, there for now and I'll let Reggie give us his perspective. OK, good afternoon. Um, so, wow, it 2020 was certainly uh, unlike anything we've ever seen. And I agree with, with Patty, safety uh, of our uh, employees was first and foremost, that's for sure. Um, and then I, I would say the demand for, for change and um, most people went from working in their office to working at home. So the container store, of course, uh, with, our, with our product line, uh, there was a great demand for home office. And so uh, we saw things just, you know, our volume from a direct-to-customer, uh, direct-to-consumer business just exploded. And so we had to do an audible um, because many of our stores were not selling or not open or or had to, to have uh, minimal type services uh, to really um, being able to uh, handle the demand of our direct-to-customer business. So we had to redirect resources, uh, redirect our focus operationally, to meet this great, great new demand that was out there. So uh, certainly, um, you know, I don't think anybody could plan for it. I've been in retail for a long time and, and many of my, um, uh, you know, comrades who work at other major retailers, 
everybody was caught off guard and, and trying to figure out a way to handle this new way of doing business. So it was certainly something that caught us by surprise. But I think, uh, as Kelly mentioned about the the demand for digital skills, we, we saw things change and uh, we were trying to get people to come in and do the things we need to do at that time. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Reggie and Patty. Um, so I, I know that both of your companies made a, a number of changes to really meet the challenges that you were facing. Uh, why don't we talk a little more about that? Uh, what types of uh, changes did you make in the workplace and are continuing to make? And can you give us some specific examples and ways that uh, digital transformation is playing a role in how you're managing or overcoming the challenges that you talked about? Sure, you want me to, to start? Sure. Thanks, um, Patty. So, so many changes is about what I would have to, <laughs> have to start right there. So many changes. Um, let's start with um, what we we are calling. We're, we're we've basically begun. We'd started this move, and again, and then we accelerated this move to what we're calling an, an omni-channel model, which basically means you can shop however you want to. You can shop in store, pick up delivery. You can have it shipped to you, right? So this this notion that it's it's you pick it as a customer and we want to serve you that way um which from a from a digital point of view is 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 a big deal but um let me also say that the other thing that that we did was hire more workers <laughs> like that was that was sort of the number one piece of this when we talking about the safety issue um Part of the reason we had to hire so many more um, workers was was demand. Don't get me wrong, but we were also um, working with um, associates who maybe didn't feel comfortable coming in, and we still had to run the store. And so there were and and PTO if they had been exposed and so on, right? So all of the sort of cycle of workers there. And so one of the things to to hire, we actually um, hired like five hundred thousand workers over the summer. And one of the ways we did that was that we actually changed the way we hire and we started to use um, more technology to do that. But we basically it's a, there's a longer explanation, but we shortened using technology. We shortened our hiring time from two weeks to 24 hours. And we were able to get people um, through through that process very, very quickly um, with technology, which was great. Um, the other sort of you can sort of imagine if you think about the you can shop in a store or pick, you know pick up delivery shipping. You can imagine then the environment in the store and in our distribution um centers etc are everything is highly digital right so if you're coming into work then your environment now is highly di digital um i would say at this point most if not all associates at all levels really are using technology in some way so think about a personal shopper so like that's that that role is a new role sort of but it's a it's a for walmart it's an it's a it's a an a, a a larger role than it used to be. There's a lot more of them at this point than there were before. Um, but that person is using technology in order to go fulfill all those pickup and delivery orders, right? Um, and uh, other other ways I would think about this, the, um, some of the ways that we've addressed the in-store technology piece is that um, we essentially gave 
750,000 of our in-store associates cell phones to use for personal work, well, for personal use and for work use, right? And they, and they use that, that device ultimately um, at work for several different kinds of things. They use it to for training actually. So our training is delivered that way at this point. And then they also use it for actual in-store work. So that personal shopper will use that device for that reason and, and uh, several other ways that we connect our inventory to what's what's going on in the store, et cetera. So um, to us, that was a really big deal um, because if you weren't, ultimately, if you think about it, um, there are a whole lot of, like, how do I put this? That is both an, an advantage, giving away those devices is both an advantage to those associates personally and also to work. Obviously, we are doing it from a from a, 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 a an environment point of view is great, but those workers then also get a, um, a access to technology that they probably didn't have before. And we thought that was a key, key piece to this. Wow. Um, so the container store, some very similar things. I mean, retail is, and and supply chain is really very similar. Um, we, we did have to hire more people. We, we had to hire more people because of the increased demands. Um, but in a distribution center, uh, it's not designed for social distancing. It's not designed for, uh, you know, the, the things that COVID brought about and, and this new demand. Um, so we had to really go back and look at everything that we did. Um, the break room, uh, we had to go in and put up, you know, barriers between areas that people could eat. We had to uh, stretch out our breaks and lunches so that we could uh, allow for social distancing. Um, and then we had to go through a deep cleaning uh, in each building, um, you know, on a regular basis, just to make certain that uh, we were doing all that we could to to prevent, you know, a disaster of, a, you know, a COVID spread. So um, it really changed what we did. And then the technology pieces of it, when we were hiring new people, of course, we would need them to come in and be uh, ready to work in a, in a quick way and in a fast way. So we were looking for people who had similar backgrounds um, in supply chain. But at the same time, the demand to get people was such was, was so great that we had to try to flex that and try to use ways to to train faster and train you know, in a more simplified manner. Uh, we had to do things even like temperature taking uh, for everybody to walk into the building. So that was a digital process as well. Um, and then even we had what we called COVID pay that we we increased our. So we did so many things to, to try to ad adapt and adjust to the change of environment. And again, it was something that um, it was really kind of learn as you go. Uh, but I'm really proud of the team. And um, we really pulled through that and was able to meet the needs of our customers. Great, thank you. Uh, so last question before we uh, bring in some more uh, folks to visit with us. Uh, both of your companies really have a, a history of making uh, uh, investments in training and education. And I'd love to know, and, which predates the pandemic, right? Uh, so we'd, we'd really know, are there ways in which being on that path uh, had an impact uh, on your uh, company being able to get through this time and this difficult period as you were orienting, orienting staff? Uh, to do to new uh, technologies. Could you talk a little about this? Go ahead, Patty. Sure. Um, 
I, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, it was great that we had we had um, our what we call our um, Walmart academies in place um, before the pand pand pandemic um, began. What I'd say is just super briefly, we had kind of two major training education and, and education initiatives. One's our Walmart academies, which is our store level training, and then we have our Live Better You. Um, which is really more for those pursuing college degrees, et cetera, and, and skilled trade certificates. Uh, but, but really the academies um, was the piece that during the pandemic was probably the most um, helpful, <laughs> I suppose. So the academies up to this point, what they, what, what, what they are is, um, again, for store level of, um, associates who sort of want to move up or move around within a store. Historically, they've been in person. There's about 200 sites across the country that deliver um, the, these trainings, and um, they, they've been a comp. They're, they're usually a combination of in-classroom training and in-store training. But but as of the pandemic, they actually had to go completely virtual. But they're the kinds of things that are that that really are that like. They're the everyday kind of training. And so what they added in in the virtual world is all of the things around safety, <laughs> right? The change, the, the constant changing of like, what are the guidelines today across the stores? They were able to sort of leverage the academies and the, and the virtualness of that across all of our stores. Um, they also, and ultimately, if you, if, these are the these are the numbers that even even during the pandemic we we trained like ninety five thousand associates <laughs> versus via Walmart Academy. Some of it that was actually in person, um, but uh, it is it it it's a it's a it's a wonderful um, way. So I talked also about the the devices that folks have now. So we've moved from computer-based and now you can actually take all of those academy trainings via your, via me at Walmart is what the app is called at this point. So you, so all of that is now centered um, on that device, which I think is is great. Um, I think the, the other thing I would say about our academies, um, just, just in general, I mean, it was great during the pandemic, but what's wonderful about this training is that um, we have really found that that leaning in on our training really has an effect on keeping people on retention, right? Um, we've found that like more than 80% of folks who who go through our Walmart Academies programs are stay at least for another additional year. Um, so it's it's kind of a long way of saying that we are we like we were committed before <laughs> the um, pandemic, and we're even we're probably even more so now um, th uh, on our training. Um, we're we're committed honestly to sort of the the, the growth and well being of our associates, and we really believe that education and training is is a big deal. And I could go on and on about that, but I know that we don't have a whole lot of time. But but there's a lot. It was there before. It 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 proved to be a payoff during the pandemic and we're super committed to moving forward with it as well. Yes, I, I would agree. A training is very important at the container store um, and pre pandemic, um, it, you know, training is one of our uh, foundational principles. And so um, we invest up to 75 hours of training in the first year alone for 
some of our DC um, specialists, uh, employees, we call them specialists. Um, and, and that didn't change. Uh, we didn't uh, deviate from that, uh, you know, in 2020, uh, because we know how important it is. We know that it certainly leads to uh, retention and it, really, it leads to really good employees. Uh, we also um, have this micro training system called Exonify, which allows us to do micro training, uh, two to three minute training and updates, uh, whether it's on safety or whether it's on something change or some new protocol that we have. Um, but that allows us again to, to use little segments of, of training and get information out so that we can continue to um, upgrade the skill set or again in this in this changing environment being able to have audibles and flex things as things change so uh, training is something that we made you know make a very big investment in and uh, we uh, actually are hiring some additional training executives um, in the very near future uh, because we know how important it is in this new age of you know, making things digital, making things faster, making things safer um, as we continue to meet the demands of our customers. Great, thank you. So now it's my pleasure to welcome uh, Andre Alcantar, uh, Senior Workforce Lead, Texas Association of Community Colleges, and Rachel Stevens, Program Director, Workforce Development and Economic Policy with the National Governors Association. Thank you both for joining us today and being a part of this conversation. Uh, Andre and Rachel, uh, you both have your ear to the ground. You're hearing from state officials and community colleges about uh, ways in which uh, their employers have described, um, you know, what's happening in, in their workforce. Does this resonate or differ from what you're hearing from your member states or colleges? Um, uh, Rachel, how about you? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. And uh, by way of introduction um, for the audience, um, on my role within NGA, uh, I direct a team of analysts um, and staff that are providing consulting and research services to governors. We're actually the only, uh, in addition to being the nation's only membership organization that is nonpartisan in surveying governors of all 55 states and territories, uh, my team is one of several policy teams that kind of serves as the only consulting and research firm dedicated to supporting governors uh, and executive branch uh, leaders. Um, and digital skills has really been at the forefront of a lot of the work we've been doing since my time at NGA, really over the past four years. And I would say I was taking some notes, and I think perhaps with the exception of uh, being able to nail a 24-hour hiring process, Patty, I think a lot of employers or governors are talking to are going to want to know more about how you you all pulled that off. Um, but I think largely, you know, what we just heard really resonates with you know what I've been hearing governors talking about when they're saying, you know, these are things that our employers and businesses of many different sizes within our states are dealing with. And what does this mean for our workforce and the skills that we're really going to need to train people with? Um, you know, I think especially, you know, hearing um, from these two companies was really insightful. Uh, we have been hearing that, you know, in instances where employers already had investments in training and education as a priority within their company, where they already had relationships with, whether it was their state's workforce system or with regional or, or state universities and colleges, um, that they really benefited and really kind of already were a step ahead in being able to kind of pivot and, and accelerate changes that they needed to make in a really unique environment during the pandemic. I think that speaks a lot to the importance of these investments for resilience um, in, in business in a range of industries, really. Um, I also think, you know, we heard a bit about the ripple effects of, you know, the pandemic changing business models, changing skills. And I think, you know, that's something my team has really been focused on exploring um, with states. Um, and really exploring governors, how they can use their convening power, their authorities in their state to bring people from across state agencies together and bring them together specifically with business 
engage in new partnerships uh, that are going to kind of be innovative, that are going to be helping us kind of close the gap between what's needed and, and what's out there in the in the labor market and in the workforce right now. Um, you know, and as far as, you know, what they're reporting to their own priorities around this, this has made its way um, into Governor's federal priorities released through NGA uh, in July, um, and has also made its way into a lot of the work we're doing now with states, um, especially around thinking about how can we, you know, challenge what I think is a particularly difficult aspect of all this, bring some of those foundational digital skills and digital literacies to adult workers and adult job seekers, um, which I hope we'll talk about a little bit more. But um, anyway, to elaborate a bit on what was just shared, absolutely a lot really resonates uh, with what governors have been granting their business. How about from the community college perspective? Uh, Jamie, uh, good afternoon and thanks for the question. It certainly resonates as we had over 50 college districts uh, transform their operations overnight, creating virtual learning hubs to meet the education and training requirements at the start of the pandemic. And they continue to operate in a manner that really that is very deliberate uh, to offer these virtual in-person and, and hybrid learning options to meet the needs of these students. The integration of technology has absolutely transformed the way that they operate and uh, very much focused on delivering value to students and employers. This includes all the uh, support services that are vital and critical to student success. So if you're looking at it, everything from the onboarding uh, to the uh, professional development, to the uh, accommodation for um, digital access issues facing our students, uh, all of these things have to be accounted for as uh, the uh, transformations occurred and they continue into the uh, fall semester this year. At the state level, the Association of Community Colleges uh, form a uh, business advisory council comprised of members representing key sectors of the state's economy. Every sector of the economy communicating to our uh, college presidents uh, and offering insights on how the uh, transformations are occurring, how they're impacting operations and the skills requirements that they will face moving forward in order to meet the, uh, uh, the challenges uh, out there to be competitive in the marketplace and to keep creating jobs. These are very important uh, uh, communications that are occurring between uh, these business leaders and our college president. And they are significant in our ability to really develop solutions that mirror what is happening uh, in our local communities all across the state. And so when you're looking at the economy, every sector of the economy was impacted by this. Every sector had to uh, integrate technology and transform digitally their operations at many different levels. This uh, led to a very significant uh, need for onboarding and uh, training uh, transformations. It led to uh, the need for new uh, training solutions that allowed for the equipping of uh, incumbent workers uh, with the skills needed for success, but it certainly uh, also highlighted what we needed to do together to address the uh, dislocated workers who had become separated during the early part of the pandemic and who are still out there struggling and uh, coming together between uh, these different uh, parties through a very robust partnership, employers working together with uh, our community colleges, we're committed to uh, really making sure that we offer solutions that will meet the needs uh, driven by these transformations. 
and, uh, and equip our workforce by reskilling and upskilling strategies that meet the requirements that are out there. Great, thank you. And I'd love to hear from both of you now about some of the different approaches that your members are trying to support employers, students, and incumbent workers as well. Uh, so what are your members focused on and what are some of the strategies they're trying and what seems to be working? Go ahead, Rachel. Sure, happy to start. Um, so first, I think, you know, one thing our members are really, we're, we're really working with a lot of our members on is recognizing that, you know, when we talk about um, digital skills and especially about inequities and obtaining digital skills and all the opportunities that go with that, you know, it's really part and parcel of similar conversations taking place around inequities that exist in our workforce and education systems more broadly, right? Like this is where these inequities kind of begin and, and we need to really be tackling it holistically. And sometimes I think digital skills has been a conversation kind of off to the side. We've been really working with our members to bring it kind of just bring it all in sync into one dialogue as they're thinking about solutions for their states. Um, you know, and I think we've seen some states engaging in really interesting um, activities, you know, that are really driven through partnerships, either through their state workforce boards or even at a local level through community colleges or through local boards with employers that I think are really exciting. Um, so for instance, you know, we've um, been in close communication with um, Arizona, uh, Maricopa County Community College partnered with Intel to establish the nation's first associates degree program around artificial intelligence. And through an NGA uh, peer learning opportunity, they were able to share that with more states and now are actually spreading that to additional community colleges because the governor was able to, the governor's office was able to say, that sounds really amazing. That sounds really promising. I'd like, it sounds like something relevant to the industries I know are important in my state. I'd like to try that out in some community colleges here. Um, so governor, you know, through NGA, I think has a lot of opportunities to see best practices happening in other states, bring them into their state. Um, you know, and, and back on the theme kind of of how this fits into the broader picture of, of equity and workforce participation, you know, I think there's also real recognition um, emerging, especially out of the pandemic that, you know, we can't train our way out of the problem. That's not necessarily going to be the be all end all. There's also the ability of people to access training programs, to access education programs, to access work where that work is um, and addressing barriers such as child care, affordability, transportation, really thinking about the whole worker and understanding that you're going to have to meet different people where they are, not just to deliver the digital skills training that they may need, whether that's in a job center or in a public library or in a community college, but you might also need to be thinking about the other barriers inhibiting them beyond just their skill sets. Um, and we've seen states, I think, taking really exciting approaches, again, partnering with the private sector in many cases to help make these things happen. Um, one great example is Michigan's TriShare program dedicated to supporting childcare costs for workers who are impacted by COVID, looking for work, and eligible employees um, split the cost of childcare with their new employer and with the state um, through through a state currently pilot program. Um, and I think you know some of these federal resources coming down the line provide opportunities for states to experiment with solutions like that. Jamie, uh, in Texas, uh, the community colleges provide over 90% of the workforce credentials uh, in this state, and they understand their vital role in building a stronger workforce and economic recovery. Uh, key to that is really understanding uh, what is happening uh, within the companies in the different sectors, whether they're manufacturing, healthcare, or technology. Understanding uh, what is needed by these small and large employers is critical in terms of developing developing solutions and working in partnership to uh, uh, drive policy and a responsive uh, approach to getting the job done. And so in Texas, the colleges have come together 
with the support of employers, chambers, and other leaders to launch a new initiative called the uh, Texas Reskilling and Upskilling Through Education Initiative. The true initiative to meet the needs of employers and position our workers for success. They're committed to uh, help close skills gaps by really aligning the uh, curriculum development and the uh, programs that are being offered to uh, help employers fill the jobs that are out there that need to be filled and to put people back to work. When you look at the uh, past eight, 18 months transitioning from uh, significantly historic high levels of unemployment in April to having 10.9 million unfilled jobs on the last business day in July speaks to the challenge that we face in terms of understanding these, uh, these challenges out there in the marketplace, how we need to work together with employers by our side and develop solutions that will get the job done. The TRUE initiative really is focused on reskilling and upskilling the workforce through new, redesigned and expanded programs. Programs that can ideally and uh, will be completed in six months or less, and they will result in a credential, a certification in a high demand occupational pathways. These credentials must be uh, aligned uh, and stackable in this career pathway so that we can respond to the changes that are occurring in the marketplace, in the workplace, and reflect the needs of our employers in terms of what they need uh, in terms of their incumbent workforce and as, they look, and as they look to fill these jobs that are unfilled. They are very significant challenges that are facing uh, the displaced worker, many of which are young, many of which uh, come from uh, low socioeconomic uh, uh, families, many of which are, uh, are in groups that do not have high levels of completion. And our efforts to really provide wins together or opportunities for a quick uh, education and training win through these credentials and these stackable pathways will go a long way in uh, really uh, increasing the uh, labor force participation of these individuals that are hurting right now and uh, help us with our overall efforts to close these achievement gaps that are very significant challenge in this country. Great, and uh, now I'd like to invite uh, Reggie and Patty uh, to rejoin us if they'd, uh, if they'd like, and uh, we'll uh, uh, talk a little more broadly uh, from each of your perspectives on a couple of issues. Uh, we've heard today that uh, innovation is accelerating, no doubt, in the workplace. Employers are using technology in new ways across a wide range of occupations. And those who are with us today are investing heavily in training and in education. Uh, we have a once in a generation federal investment in education and training to help close the gap between what employers say they need and the skills that appear to be available in the workforce. And governors and community colleges are trying to be innovative and meet the challenge, right? So all that's all that's the good news. I do believe, you know, how are we doing as a nation uh, from your perspectives? as we work to meet this challenge and build a digitally resilient workforce. Where do you think we're doing well? And where do you think uh, we are falling short and still have a lot of work to do? I'll, I'll go. Um, I, I'll tell you that in supply chain specifically, um, you know, the technology um, that, that's being created is really designed to, to be simplified so that if a person can use uh, a smartphone then they can pretty much come in and and do the things that we need them to do um in in supply chain uh you know the strategy is to 
um, make the work so that we can bring people on, we can you know, get them onboarded quick, you know, quickly, and they can be a contributor um, in some of the um, you know, lower skill set type jobs. So uh, I think, uh, you know, from what I see, um, and, and we hire people from all walks of life, um, that the most people that we bring on board that they can operate in our digital environment, um, because most most people grew up with that type of technology, whether it's cell phone or whether it's uh, you know games or whatever that they've been doing. So um, I think I think you know from a moving forward standpoint, um, I see you know the demand is to make to simplify things with technology, to make things faster, to make things easier, so that we can you know process things quickly, get things to our consumers more quickly, but also not make it so so difficult that it it, it, it creates a, a greater barrier. That's what I see. So I'll take it from a slightly different perspective, which is um, kind of the, the the notion of like the the how do we how do we make sure folks have the digital skills that they that they need? And I think interestingly my colleagues sort of believe that people do have the digital skills just just because they live in a digital world that we live in at this moment right so there's the basic assumption that they have them and we can quibble <laughs> a lot with whether some people do and some people don't but there's the assumption that they do so like creating the environment, probably exactly the right thing to do moving forward, right? There's nothing like conceptualized learning <laughs> than when you're like, I got to, I got to use this device and do it. So, so I think that's actually a good thing and we need to keep moving forward with that. However, in those places where there are gaps, you know, what is it, what do we do with that? And how do we understand especially in a workforce as big as ours, right? That assumption that they do have the skills that are needed is probably not the exactly the right one. So how do you figure out where the gaps are and how do you fill those in, in the, in the right kinds of ways? I think we still have a bunch of work to do there, sort of assessing. And then there's the specialized skills. Those ones are important too. I think the one other comment I would make here is, is really that, um, that I feel like, um, golly, my brain just went blank for a second there. I was like, I had a comment. Um, I, I really feel like the um, the notion of digital resilience is is the key piece here. It's the I think we we look a lot for. Um, somebody who can just keep up with the change because what you're using today is probably not going to be here in six months. We're going to change the app and it's going to keep going. So, um, so I think in in our minds when we're when we're hiring folks and when we're, you know, if we had the ideal associate, it's that person who's going to just come in and be okay with change and will and will adapt with us. And that's that's the most important piece. Rachel, how about you? Sure. I think, you know, taking it from um, thinking about a leadership perspective, you know, leadership and really getting things done, moving the needle in a in a large scale way is, is absolutely critical. And governors are really well poised to provide that leadership, to provide that kind of convening authority, to provide the advocacy for this as a real priority um, and to bring agencies, you know, and systems from K-12 to post-secondary education to the workforce system and the business community all around a table to really address this together. 
Um, there's a challenge inherent in doing that, but I think it's one that we're seeing more and more governors kind of step forward and lead on. Um, and that's, some, that's something that we're really focused on supporting governors and doing in the near future as well. Um, and I think there's a real opportunity. I, I wanna highlight something um, that Kelly presented earlier when she mentioned that in the midst of this conversation on digital skills, there's an opportunity to be recognized um, around human skills being really important to go alongside those digital and technical skills. Um, and I think that, that that presents a real opportunity to use technology in a positive way for economic growth and for economic participation if the right policy decisions are made to make sure that's really something that's true and accessible for everybody, everyone. Um, so I am happy to share this is something we're working on with states um, through the NGA Workforce Innovation Network, uh, which is one of NGA's flagship workforce development initiatives, um, which we launched earlier this year with support from the Cognizant Foundation. Um, we've been working with states first on really kind of getting their arms around what was needed to deliver better coordinated service delivery through the workforce system, make sure people were reconnecting with jobs and training quickly, and with the supports needed to really address those other barriers to work uh, and, and, uh, and training that I mentioned earlier. Um, up next, we're actually going to be focusing on a new grant round that we just announced a couple weeks ago on digital skills specifically, and we're going to help uh, state teams led by their governor's office work through um, a number of challenges, including some Patty touched on that I think apply not just kind of at a business or industry scale, but when, you, when you're thinking about what policymakers really need to be able to do and understand, there's a huge challenge around assessing needs, understanding what the priorities are, really building a shared definition of what are the skills that are needed and that we need to be training for? What what are they? Do we understand them? Um, and do we know kind of in quantity and, and, and quality what the needs really are? And then understanding what works. And that's another thing where, as I mentioned earlier, I think we're providing a, a real resource to governors and states and plan to do that uh, in even greater, uh, in, in fuller force through the NGA Workforce Innovation Network. And um, we're really excited to have support. Um, in addition to Cognizant Foundation from the Western Governors University, Microsoft and Intel, all real leaders in actually advancing digital skills in the workforce. And we're benefiting from not just their support, but their expertise. And we have over 20 organizations from across the country representing a range of subject matter experts and practitioners, including the Economic Opportunities Program, actually. So thank you all. We're so excited. Um, our states have already benefited so much from your expertise and your knowledge um, on a number of topics. I'm sure this will be another one. Um, you know, and, and to answer your question of will we ever get there, I think we might never feel like we've checked the box or like we've arrived somewhere. I wouldn't tell my, my members to expect to feel like you've done it and we're good. Um, we're always being pulled forward by the business community and evolving business needs. But I am really confident that through initiatives like the NGA Workforce Innovation Network and with governor's leadership, we're going to really be able to take advantage of the moment that we're in right now and make some real progress. Andre, how about you? How, where are we doing well and where do we still have a lot of work to do? Well, we are certainly doing well in terms of uh, really focusing on building partnerships with industry and trying to maximize the focus on solving this problem. As an example, uh, the association through the Texas Success Center, forming a, part a partnership with the AWS to make sure that our students at our colleges and in our high schools have access to these very much valued cloud computing skills working in partnership to uh, use those relationships to develop the teachers and to uh, make this available to our students. But going beyond that, making sure that as we're uh, working with our high schools, that we're building high quality, dual credit early college programs that again result in curriculum and, cer and certifications being obtained in these uh, pathways of study that uh, are, are already equipping our students with the skills that are needed adding an efficiency component to how we educate our students. 
not just throwing stuff out there, but providing efficient learning pathways is very critical. How do you inform the students uh, about these opportunities and how do you uh, really get them to completion at a level that is more acceptable uh, overall in this country? We have to work together. We have to leverage things like the guided pathway pathways work that is being undertaken here in Texas and around the country so that students can more effectively select uh, the program of study. And uh, then we work together to make sure that we're equipping for every sector of our economy uh, curriculum and learning pathways to allow our students to complete the credentials, the two-year degree while in high school, stackable and leading to either work or ongoing lifelong learning within the, the partner institutions, whether that's the ongoing work at the community college or the university partner. And again, uh, working together to inform our students about, about these wonderful opportunities in manufacturing and in healthcare in just about every other sector of the economy because they all are hiring right now and they all need individuals with talent. And the only way we solve this is to make sure that we provide access through these partnerships. And what I'm talking about access is think about having a student uh, in the classroom having the option to access a community college or your university learning experience while there and completing something of value. And for them, Jamie, understanding that uh, they're the first one in their family and uh, it, uh, in the broader family uh, in many cases to complete post-secondary work. That is a big win. And those are big wins that we need to notch. And then having the benefit of having a valuable credential certificate uh, to, uh, to really boost that momentum is something that we can all work together on to uh, achieve greater, uh, greater results. Great, thank you. So uh, I'd like to invite uh, Amy and Kelly if they'd like to join us and we'll uh, take uh, questions from the audience for the remainder of the time. But so, you know, this is gonna be a little tricky, right? Uh, we have three different audiences that we're talking about at least, probably more than that, but we have uh, young people who are just getting out of school uh, that we need to, uh, to help get into the workplace. We have dislocated workers, which I've seen some comments uh, on as well. People who are now out of the workforce, we have to get them back into the workforce. And then uh, thirdly, uh, one of the advanced questions was about uh, older workers who are in the workforce, but they need to have their skills uh, kept up to date. Um, what are some practices that you see that are uh, successful in those areas? Jamie, I'll, I'll go. Um, so I'll, you, you're right. There, there, we're seeing such a demand for, um, you know, people who are reinventing themselves or taking new careers. Um, we had a lot of people who were in our stores who came to our distribution center. Um, so again, I, the key that that we've seen um, is again to make the the onboarding and the learning and um, as simplified as possible so that, um, you know, it, it will be user-friendly for most people. I, again, um, I think Patty had some really good wow. insight about certainly um, there, there's some folks who may be a little more challenged, um, but when we can simplify the training, when we can do things to understand that we have a diverse workforce from, um, you know, what they bring from a skill set standpoint, uh, so we have to be very, um, you know, have a lot of agility in our development, in our onboarding, in our training, 
uh, as leaders so that we can meet those needs of those different backgrounds uh, and so that we can help make them useful for, for the container store. Um, and, and again, that's exciting from the standpoint of uh, we have seen people who have changed careers um, and, and that they've come and they've been successful um, because they were adaptable and they were you know, willing to learn. So um, certainly it's a challenge, but certainly from a corporate America standpoint, I think we have a responsibility and an obligation to, to have that agility in our onboarding and our training to meet the needs of different backgrounds. Thank you, Reggie. Um, Patty, how about you? Do you mind jumping in here? Sure. Um, I'll take it from the perspective that, that um, we have a big belief at Walmart and at walmart.org, honestly, in skills-based training and skills-based hiring and skills-based advancement. Um, we, 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 sort of, we believe that in the end, all of these audiences, young, dislocated, and incumbent workers, right? All, all of them um, will benefit from, from being able to essentially acquire the skills that they need to, to, to create their own career path. So from a Walmart point of view, even our academies at this point, our academies are skills-based. So they're stackable, as Andre said, like they are, these are skills-based and stackable to a credential and a badge for each one of them and, and off we go. Um, that's wonderful for the workers. It's also wonderful for a hiring manager who says, oh, okay, now I understand what skills this person has and, and, and I, might, I might be able to move them into this position. Um, so, so that's a piece that we're doing at, in Walmart. The other, the other place we're gonna hopefully eventually go here is to what folks across the industry here are starting to call talent marketplaces, right? That's an internal way for you to um, essentially, again, create your, your career path. You can um, find, find the job that you want, go see what training is available. How is it that you match those things together so that you can advance into that job? Or you happen to have the skills and you see a, a job in a different area and what can you do with that? So, so some way that, that even internally you can use your skills and, and um, essentially, you know, even market your skills that you've developed to get the, to get the jobs that you want. Um, that, I could, I could talk forever about this particular thing, but we really, like, we have a, a, a belief that ultimately skills-based hiring, advancement, training, and all of that unlocks a particular piece of, of well, how to put it, it unlocks the equity piece here, <laughs> in our opinions. And so we're, we're doing, it's a long journey to get there, but we're, we're doing a lot to try to see what we can do as part of that. Great. Um, Andre, there's gotta be a lot there uh, for you to jump in on, right? Um, well, love well, to hear how the community colleges are thinking about this. Certainly, you know, a major concern in terms of uh, one of the cohorts you described is the, uh, the decline in enrollment uh, nationally uh, in, 20, in fall 2020. And, uh, and, and it continues. The, uh, the fact that uh, our students are not enrolling and uh, they're not going to work based on labor market data that shows that that, that, that age cohort uh, under the age of 24 has the highest levels of unemployment. 
And then if you look at the uh, at the racial break uh, breakdown in terms of which students are not going to college and which students have the highest rate of unemployment, it's a major concern. And so uh, and, and so if, if you're able to focus on uh, offering solutions that uh, pull these students in and you don't and you don't lose them for that whole first year, because if you lose them in that first year and they don't enroll, it's awfully it's extremely difficult to get them back in. Uh, into a, a post-secondary institution, then the focus on uh, on the work that, that is being undertaken here by the colleges around these true credentials, working in partnership with uh, with employers to provide these accelerated learning opportunities uh, that uh, have demonstrated value to the employers because the employers help build them. I, I think it's critical. But the critical part, uh, the Additional aspects to that work are one stackable, as as Patty uh, just uh, highlighted. But the other part is the scaling of that, so that that work and those courses, those certificates, are available across institutions in different regions of the state where these same comp companies operate, or where that same industry clusters uh, demonstrating need for those skills. If we're able to scale more efficiently the work that we are able to do on an ad hoc basis when we bring employers in, we can be more successful in terms of how we move forward. Those same certificates can be pushed down into our dual credit uh, uh, learning opportunities. They're available to uh, the displaced worker that is older than 25. And, uh, and, and, the, and the work of uh, really uh, outreaching and pulling in uh, the, uh, the different age cohorts uh, and the different targeted groups can uh, be assessed more effectively in terms of the uh, difference in the learning option and the alignment with what our workers are telling us are needed. That would be different. And uh, that is uh, very important for us to do in terms of maximizing these uh, employer partnerships that we're building. You know, we, we haven't even touched on uh, some of these other groups that are really having a hard time, like the, uh, the ex-offenders and uh, the, uh, the huge uh, percentage of individuals that have literacy challenges. But together, we can take some of these same principles about uh, partnership, employer engagement, scaling, and then sharing across regions and replicating the success is going to be so necessary when we're talking about the situation they're in right now. And they actually convey very nicely in a digital learning platforms uh, that are now available and more widely used. Uh, so those are some of the things that uh, we might want to think about. Great. And Rachel, if you don't mind, uh, I'll switch the question up a little bit for you. Uh, so we really, for all the horrible things that 2020 and you know so far in 2021 have, have brought about, uh, it's also brought more resources to some of the challenges that we faced, which uh, certainly is a positive. As you look around at what governors are doing, um, how are they using these additional resources? Where are they really focusing them? And you know, are they trying to build sustainable programs or do they just look at this as one-time money trying to get people through this very difficult period? Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing? And, so, and what's really working, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a wonderful question. Um, and it's early to really talk about what's working, but what I am excited about is I think that the use of the conversation around the use of these funds is definitely centered around understanding what works and either maybe using this as a way to kind of formally or informally pilot, try new things out, see if a longer term investment could be worthwhile and a, and a good idea. Um, and it's also kind of, you know, generated a conversation 
um, around the role of the not just the governor's office, but you know other state agencies, the state legislature, in kind of bringing businesses to the table as partners in some of this work as well. Um, I'd say, you know, on the question of uh, if this is one time or not, I think governors definitely know, of course, it's impossible not to recognize that this, it is a one-time pot of money and they do have sustainability in mind. But again, I think kind of with more of an approach of, you know, in some cases, bolstering or supplementing ongoing programs and activities that, that are either part of their, um, you know, existing systems or part of programs they'd already launched. Um, but in many cases, there are opportunities to deliver kind of shorter term support and try something new with the potential for a longer term investment by the state, um, you know, if, if there's really a benefit paying off to it. Um, and I'm really excited. I think it's kind of, you know, a giant lab experiment in policy in a way, right, to really high stakes, certainly, but a, an experiment to see what's going to work um, in a lot of areas. As far as how they're spending these resources, there's a huge range. Um, I think we've seen them you know, spending resources on supporting initiatives in areas, including some my colleagues just talked about. So for instance, um, advancing work that perhaps they'd already started around building stackable and transparent uh, credentials, uh, skills-based training and hiring initiatives. I know a couple of states we work with have been working on initiatives in those areas, um, you know, developing and advancing work-based learning strategies, whether that be, you know, registered apprenticeship programs for adults, youth apprenticeship, dual enrollment, other types of work-based learning opportunities for youth. Um, you know, and I think those are great ways to impart digital skills, right? Especially when you think about some of those occupation-specific digital skill sets and the, what Patty mentioned, I totally agree with, you know, when you're using it in the workplace, using it day to day, that's the best way you're going to learn um, and kind of understand those connections and, and be able to really use those skills in practice. Um, you know, I think embedded in a lot of these investments that we've seen has also been kind of the theme of partnership. Um, these investments are often, you know, in either in partnership with businesses that have been hardest hit, in partnership with um, uh, nonprofits or agencies serving populations that have been hardest hit by the pandemic. Um, really a theme of partnership and of really targeting the communities that were the most uh, adversely impacted during the pandemic. Um, you know, so for instance, some states are doing things like providing funding to workers um, whose employment was affected by the pandemic um, to better match them with skills that align with, or excuse me, with jobs that align with their skills and their interests and their geographic area and helping them actually overcome barriers like childcare and transportation. Um, I mentioned some examples of that earlier. Um, we're also seeing states, you know, direct financial support um, to businesses to help with recruitment and hiring, um, to support and match resources dedicated to training incumbent workers and really incentivizing employers to make investments there. So we're seeing a lot of different approaches, I think, taken across states right now, again, with this, I think, spirit of seeing, you know, what can we build on that we believe is working well in other places already? And what can we perhaps experiment with a little bit or change and modify that we can build on in the future? Great. Um, so I'd like to bring our employer partners uh, back again, Patty and Reggie, and really one of the many topics that we haven't touched on yet uh, that I uh, don't want to, uh, to see us leave alone is the lasting impact of the increasing digital skills in the workplace and what it means to jobs. Um, and so there are like a whole range of questions around that that I would love to get your take on um, our uh, you know, people without digital skills just going to be left out? Or do you think employers are going to be providing even more training to really help people get into the workplace? But but even around job, uh, even around the positions themselves and the way the jobs are designed, um, are we going to see workers earning increased wages? Uh, if they have the digital skills, what's the lasting impact? Are they going to have more hours? Um, any any thoughts you have or comments on uh, just the lasting impact of uh, digital skills in the workplace and its impact on uh, and their impact on jobs? I'll I'll just 
share a little bit. I, uh, again, technology for supply chain is is um, which you no, know, we talked about requiring the digital skill sets, and um, it's it's really to help us to be faster and to to have a higher quality of of processing or getting work done than ever before. So uh, we we welcome um, you know the technology and the technology will only enhance our ability to serve our customers. So we, we, we don't see it as a way to, to you know, uh, decrease our workforce. Uh, we see it as a, as a way to get more done um, to meet the demands. And so those who don't have the skill set, again, um, you know, our job is to train and to onboard. I mean, today's economy, uh, we're, we're, you know, many retailers, uh, we're, they're, they're, the numbers are, are astronomical of, of the of the need of, of trying to bring workers into the workforce. So um, it would behoove us, of course, to have a training program that will uh, that will help to onboard them, uh, whatever skill set they have. And and I think you know when you have such a great demand, then we have to be again, as I said earlier, have the agility uh, to to adapt to different backgrounds different skill sets to make them useful for, you know, for that particular situation. Patty? Yeah, my, I'm probably going to echo more what Reggie's saying that like, um, we're, we're, we're not in the, in the business, like, I don't think any of us foresee replacing all our workers. People, people will point often to like, oh, but you're already replacing cashiers with the self-checkout. And what people don't see is that, what we've actually created in this new shopping experience has many, 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 many more other different kinds of roles that maybe you just don't see because you don't see that cashier out there, right? Um, but what we might want to do is automate something tedious like the cashier, and that's okay. But we have a whole lot of other roles that have now been created um, as a result of the new ways of doing things. So I think the 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 sort of long-term view of this to me is is really about adaptability, honestly. And so, yes, I agree. We need to, there's, there's specific skills that we should all be committed to. You know, how do we make sure the full population gets those skills, whether you go all the way back into K-12 or like, you know, how, how that works. So there, there's something about getting those skills. But the important piece of it, I think, moving forward as we all can think about new ways of shopping or new ways of doing business or new ways of like the adaptability is the most important piece there. And that you like if you enter the workforce at 18 and you retire at a lovely age of 65, right? The change that you're going to see um, when it comes to, in particular, digital, right? This is just tremendous. And you've got to be able to, 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 to go with it for that entire time you're in the workforce. And I think that's the most important piece. Great. Okay. And so it looks like we have uh, just a little over a minute. So we're going to, we're going to try to work in a quick lightning round question. And then I want to bring in Daryl and get his uh, take from uh, what he's heard today. Uh, so uh, what would be, uh, you, you know, one thing that, that uh, you're going to take away from today or that you would, uh, you know, advise our uh, uh, people in the audience uh, to consider as they go away, you know, uh, one, uh, you know, a, a takeaway, uh, something that you hope people remember 
um, or a piece of advice. I'd just love to to get all of your take. Uh, Kelly, we haven't heard from you in a while. Would you like to kick us off? Sure, no problem. I would say the one takeaway that I am thinking about as I'm hearing this wonderful dialogue is just being able to communicate the skills that you have. And I mean that from all angles, like all audiences, Jamie, that you mentioned earlier, employers really let's push on them doing a better job at understanding the skills that are most important and writing job postings that reflect that to any educators out there that are, um, again, the lifelong process that Patty just mentioned, um, you know, all throughout this time frame, being able to help those lifelong learners understand the skills they're learning when they come to you so that they can communicate those back to employers. So important. And, and really, honestly, just for the average person out there, that lifelong learner, you know, take this agency into your own hands because you really need to understand the skills that you're gaining. And it's not only in that formal education and that formal work experience, it's in your life experiences because those are really valid and they should be part of the employment process. Great. Thank you. Um, Amy, how about you? Thanks. <clears throat> Thanks. I've, I've, um, have been thinking along with, um, with this conversation and feel, um, I feel like we have not only a once in a lifetime opportunity to kind of invest in skills training and um, and trying to help, help people make sure they have skills to, to move forward in the future, but we also, I, I'm here, I'm struck by not only our interviews that we did, you know, over the last months, but also today's panel about how much change is happening due in, in job design and in the workplace and um, in how work is structured um, around access to new technologies that change the nature of what what how the work is performed in a lot of in a lot of different ways, and it feels like um, we have an opportunity right now to be thinking about job designing in ways that also help the worker to earn more, to um, make sure that they're getting a strong set of, of you know strong schedule, um, to be thinking about you know more holistically about you know job design and job quality along with skills, and I and I feel like um, that's a conversation that I want to keep continuing you know in other forums. Great. Thank you, Amy. Great points. Uh, Andre? Uh, thank you, Jamie. Uh, innovation has built the uh, world's greatest economy. Uh, these uh, technology integrations and uh, digital transformations that we've talked about are really increased productivity and uh, they make our companies competitive and in doing so uh, allow for more job creation and new business opportunities. We must understand uh, what these changes mean, work together in partnership, and uh, really work together to uh, upskill and reskill the workforce so that they're successful and can fully participate in the economy moving forward. Thank you. Rachel? Yeah, I, you know, there's so many great takeaways. It's hard to pick a couple. Um, I, I think one um, that I think is really present in this conversation, I think it's also a broader takeaway, you know, from kind of just the, the climate that we were in and have been in over the last several months is a shifting paradigm in the conversation um, away from kind of thinking about like a worker almost kind of as a as a widget or just an input, but really thinking about the whole person behind that worker, the range of things that they may need, want, desire, um, be striving for, and how that impacts, you know, the many elements of job quality. There are multiple dimensions to that conversation. Um, the multiple dimensions of, you know, addressing training needs, making sure people are able to access opportunity, and then really engaging employers in all those conversations. I mean, the value that the employers just on this panel brought to the discussion, um, truly irreplaceable 
Um, and I think just really, to me, underscores something I'm so, you know, lucky to be able to do and excited to be able to do in supporting governors and making sure they're, you know, able to hear from the business community broadly and in their states and support them in their efforts to do that through things like the Workforce Innovation Network. Um, you know, hearing directly and in depth from businesses about these skill needs, about what's really changing and what, what they see working um, is just, it's incredibly impactful and, and that can't be said enough. And so I think even just the group here, being here all together, this combination of voices, um, was it that in and of itself and the value, there's a huge takeaway for me. Thank you. Reggie? Yes. Um, I think the takeaway that I have is uh, that that really strikes, you know, really hits home with me. Um, we have to really understand the frontline worker um, and we talk about digital skills and all that, but imagine the change that they, they couldn't work from home. They didn't have that option. They, they had to be there, uh, whether it was at a store or a distribution center, uh, you know, healthcare providers, and, you know, they had no choice. And, and, and all of the um, major, major, you know, shifts and changes that we've experienced in the last 18 months is incredible. Um, but look at how resilient they are and they were. Uh, they came to work every day um, because they had to, uh, you know, in spite of all the, the risk that other people chose not to take. So I, I think as we look at uh, this whole concept of work and change and skill set, uh, I don't want to minimize the fact that you know, there's some tremendous people who did some tremendous things uh, during that time uh, that kept all of us going, right? Uh, that, that we could go to the Walmart and, and get the things that we needed. So I, I say hats off to them. And uh, as an employer, uh, I say that we need to certainly, um, you know, do all that we can do to make certain that we make that uh, environment for them the best we can. Thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Excellent. Patty, how about you? I'll keep it super short. I, I, feel, I feel like when I think about transformation, transformation is change. It, it's necessarily change. And so I think there's a lot of work for all of us to do to help us manage ourselves through all of that change, right? Like that's the key piece. How do we get through the change and be open to it? Great, thank you. And uh, Daryl, uh, you get to bring it home here before we turn things back to Maureen and uh, let her close us out. But uh, uh, Daryl Graham is Senior Vice President of Philanthropy at Strata Education Network. Uh, uh, Daryl, your uh, support of this project is greatly appreciated. And uh, so Strata has been kind of at the intersection, right, of employment and education uh, for years. And we'd just love to hear your reaction today and, you know, how your organization is thinking about this unique moment in time and the challenges that we're facing. Yeah, thank you so much, Jamie. And uh, thank you for all of you for participating in this and for all those who are joined us today. Uh, we are really uh, excited about, you know, this work for many reasons. Uh, some of who know us, uh, a social impact nonprofit organization, we're always looking for insights and solutions uh, that drive meaningful outcomes for individuals, whether they're through our own research, the network of nonprofits that we support, our grant efforts, grant making efforts, as well as our investments as an organization. We engage in a lot of high level discussions about barriers, needs and pathways, just like this one. And while the discussion is needed and valuable, our work has taught us the importance of some of the things that we've heard here today. Quality is much better than quantity. And the depth of engagement with an institution or partner matters. And that's what's really making this exciting for us because this study was valuable in many ways. We've gotten to hear directly from employers 
who can describe exactly how the world of work is is changing, you know, and it's continuing to change even now, um, and about how the needs of workers, you know, have have certainly changed and accelerated. So here's a, some takeaways that we that we are thinking about as it relates to this conversation and and, and the study, and I'll go through them really quickly. The truth is that we can all that we can all better predict, you know the next five years or now uh, or so going forward, better we could probably predict one year out. It's just been a changing environment, you know, for the last two years and accelerated. Uh, digitization has only accelerated, right? The, the, the access remains a key issue for people. Just because someone is a digital native doesn't necessarily mean they're digitally skilled. And so there's a lot of work and I saw lots of questions, you know, coming through about are people going to get reskilled or people going to be able to be, you know, reskilled who are already on jobs or already in, in employment situations. And how does that begin to work a little bit better? And how do we get people and uh, organization to think about that very well? And we have many conversations with Patty about that. Um, we must so we must continue to ways to examine uh, how we build these digital skills. Uh, which are increasingly basic life skills at this point. Those opportunity seekers, you know, who are going to be out there, whether they're employed or trying to be upskilled, are going to need that in order to move forward. Um, and lastly, you know, change is coming so much faster, you know, from what we've heard today, what we've seen ourselves and what we've seen in this study. Uh, and we can certainly, uh, we certainly can predict that, but we certainly know that uh, the world just got turned upside down. And we find that we don't have a view, you know, from this angle. So we're going to have to be responsive and attentive to how these needs change, whether it's to what Reggie talked about with market demand, uh, was talked about the need that existed with Walmart, you know, staying open and what they had to do in order to move forward and, and continue to keep people safe. Uh, that's a very different thing that we were not prepared for. And so because employers created upskilling and reskilling pathways, workers still need guidance. Uh, they need financial tools, they need resources to avail themselves, uh, and there are so many key roles that post-secondary institutions, nonprofits, intermediaries, policymakers can do to help meet those needs. Because the future of work we cannot yet predict, but we're going to have to begin to respond to the needs of employers and the needs of the employees who need jobs. So thank you all for such a wonderful opportunity, and we're very grateful for all the great work that was done here. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. And uh, Maureen, we'll uh, turn it back to you to close this out. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amy, Kelly, Patty, Reggie, Andre, Rachel, Daryl. Um, really appreciate you spending so much time with us today and sharing your insights. Thank you, Jamie, for all your work. Um, and, and Amy on the research and leading and leading this and pulling this all together. I also want to thank uh, my behind the scenes Aspen colleagues. It takes a lot of work to pull these events together. So a big thanks to uh, Tony Mastria, Adrian Lee, Yuri Chang, Victoria Prince, who are really helpful in pulling today's events together. Um, thank you to the audience for joining us and sharing your questions and comments. Um, please do take a moment to respond to the feedback poll. If you haven't had a chance to do that, it's in the Slido box at the bottom of your screen. You can also, again, send us an email at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. We do love to hear from you and really value um, your feedback. So please let us know what you think. Um, as a reminder, we'll be releasing an interview guide uh, to help those who want to engage with employers on these topics and have conversations like the ones we got to have um, and learn about shifting digital skill needs and changes happening in the workplace. So stay tuned for that. Um, 
We have a couple of events planned coming up. One will focus on universal work-related benefits, and then um, we have a book talk coming up in October as well that I'm really excited about. So um, you will see uh, more information about those coming to your inbox soon, and I hope you'll be able to join us again. Thank you again for your time today, and um, hope to see you again.